Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man that's got a lot to lose. He's a pretty nice fella, but he's kind of confused. He's got muscles in his head that ain't never been used. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean... So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a television and movie actor and a Broadway actor as well. Yeah, he's a Tony Award winner. He's also a singer-songwriter as well, and we're excited to talk about some John Prine with him. Please welcome to the podcast, John Gallagher Jr. Hey, how you doing? Thank you so much for having me. So I know you go by the the uh, the musician name of Johnny Gallagher. Should I call you John or should I call you Johnny? I, you know, it's uh, it's dealer's choice up to the individual. I, I'll answer to just about anything. Okay, well, we'll we'll mix it up then. We'll we'll <laughs> call you John and Johnny through throughout the perfect. All that right. makes sense for my life because at home I'm always Johnny, but professionally I'm John a lot. But when I go okay. to my family, everybody calls me. Perfect. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode. We ask the all-important question, what T-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with John. What T-shirt are you wearing? Well, appropriately enough, I don't actually own it. You know, I'm criminally uh, underserved when it comes to concert tees. But um, about f- four or five years ago, my sister, for my birthday, got me a, a John Prine slash Jason Isbell shirt that says, Prine Isbell, blow up your TV. I think it was <laughs> for some shows that they did together. I've seen them both separately, but never together. But, you know, big fans of their music. So I'm rocking my Prine Isbell shirt today. Awesome. awesome. Very nice. Yeah. Wayne, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing? I didn't have anything that really tied in. And I just recently had got this shirt from this, I think that's based out of London, but they do shirts that have like logos for fictional places and songs. Like they got one for the, was it Baltimore Jacks or, you know, what's the the Chinese restaurant in Werewolves of London. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, Dino's Bar and Grill where the drinks will flow and the blood will spill. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm not wearing a shirt that's anywhere related to this episode. Uh, I'm wearing one of my Wilco shirts because I was supposed to see Wilco on Saturday, and I am completely having withdrawal for live music right now. Oh man, yeah. Where were you going to see him? Uh, Saint Augustine, Florida. Oh, nice. Yeah. One of my favorite places is the amphitheater there in St. Augustine, and uh, it's just a great venue. I've seen I've seen Wilco there. Uh, I guess I guess just once. I thought maybe I had seen him twice there, but uh, yeah, it's just the perfect venue for a Jason Isbell or a Wilco, and I've seen both yeah. of them there. So, oh, nice. so, uh, so. We have to sh- to give some shout outs to a friend of the podcast, Anthony D'Amato, because uh, Anthony hooked us up. Yeah, Anthony brought me here. Yeah. Connected us. So he joined us last year to do a Neil Young episode, and I just had him and Scott Terry on the podcast again to talk about Prime. And he said, you know, you should have my friend John on the podcast. And I said, all right, that's fine. And I didn't really put two and two together who you were. So Anthony yeah. says, oh, by the way, John's been on Broadway and and I'm not a big. I, so so I'll just throw this out there. Not a big Broadway guy, but my I daughter, do. my daughter is. Oh. So 
So without Googling you, I, I go into my daughter's room and I go, hey, do you, do you know who John Gallagher Jr. is? And she goes, yes. <laughs> and I was like, uh, he's coming on my podcast. And she's like, what? <laughs> so, she, so she is super excited. And bless her heart. So she's 17. She's uh, grad- graduating from high school this year. And she does the whole choir thing. And, and she goes, you would probably really like Spring Awakening just so you know, they swear a lot in those. <laughs> so bless her, bless her heart. So she, um, so she's super excited. This is probably uh, the most she's excited for any of my guests since uh, since we had Matt Nathanson on. So, oh my gosh, I'm honored. Yeah. So truly. Uh, and I was like, well, do you want to come in the office and talk to him? She's like, uh, uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> so. She's like, I got to draw the line somewhere. Okay? Right, right, right. So never meet your heroes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, I had to, you know, I had to do the YouTube thing for spring yeah. awakening and that's some good stuff, but you are also on Broadway for, for the green day, American idiot. Yeah. I did American idiot on Broadway. Yeah. 10 years ago, we just hit the 10 year anniversary a couple nights ago, which is oh, crazy wow. to me. Don't know how it went so fast, but it did. Yeah. Um, so, so Wayne is the resident Green Day fan. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm not, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can, I, I respect him. I respect him. It's just not, he, Wayne is more of the punk guy. Sure. Sure. Can we establish yeah. that Wayne? We, we, that's been established. Okay. And I got to ask you what, yeah. what were the songs, uh, from American Idiot that that you most enjoyed singing every night? Mm, I, you know, one of the treats was I got to do, I got to sing Wake Me Up When September Ends and Boulevard of Broken Dreams. My character got to sing those songs and play guitar at the same time. So that was kind of the closest that it got to really feeling like a concert event. Um, some of the songs were sung in a much more kind of operatic way but those were really intimate and um it was just really cool to be to be playing and singing at the same time on a broadway stage so those were real treats but also um there's this crazy song on the american idiot record that's so good it's probably my favorite green day song of all time called the jesus of suburbia it's about nine and a half minutes long and it 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 really is it's a it's operatic and amazing and you know it, it feels like a like a you know, I feel like they must have been listening to a lot of who, like a quick one while he's while she, you know while he's away kind of era stuff because it ties into that kind of like seven to six songs in one long song, and um, that was a highlight of the show doing that that number of it. So those were probably my three favorites. Gotcha. Did do you think that they wrote that album with Broadway in mind? Because when I when I listened to that years ago, I thought. You you are totally trying to do some kind of like, I don't know if you're trying to do a Tommy thing, right. but but there is definitely a, like you said, an operatic sensibility to that record. Yeah, I think, you know, they the way they talk about it is that they just kind of, you know, they, they felt like they had kind of been spinning their their wheels as a pop punk trio and they wanted to do something where they just really went for broke and they said well let's just be as kind of bold and kind of obnoxious about it as we possibly can be and let's just let's go for it um they they had a lot of people come in after them for years and years to try to do the broadway thing or the movie thing or a stage show version and 
Um, it sounds like they were really reluctant because they just didn't want to give it up to somebody. They didn't want to kind of put it in somebody else's hands. And um, really the only reason why I ended up in American Idiot is because it's the same director as Spring Awakening, um, oh. which was this guy, Michael Mayer. And when we were doing Spring Awakening, it, it had such a kind of zeitgeisty moment on Broadway that the next thing you know, you know, pop stars and rock stars and songwriters were, were flying into New York to see what this show was all about. And one of the guys that came in to check it out was Billy Joe Armstrong. And um, he saw Spring Awakening. And, you know, uh, thanks to all of the cursing and the sex that was on stage, <laughs> I think he realized that you could do stuff on Broadway now that, you know, wasn't so kind of cleaned up and spruced up and homogenized that you could still have some some messy kind of uh, scruffy elements and and he entrusted michael mayer to do the adaptation and that's where it all took off from yeah. so i don't know if they had always intended it but it, it did seem like that was the kind of inevitability with the show like that and it probably doesn't hurt that you won a tony for that uh, so you I had that, that on the resume yes. i think that helped green convince green day that you know i i could uh, i could take on the role <laughs> yeah right 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 uh, Wayne, any any Green Day questions for for John? Gosh, no. I that's a show that I've I've always wanted to see. I know I did read. I want to say it was a Rolling Stone article, either right after or right before uh, American Idiot, which is one of my f- favorite records of all time. I could I could listen to that oh, it's so all good. day long. Same, yeah. And that that was that 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 a rock opera was the kind of the the inspiration for the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I think they really got into. Um, they they were playing in a in a. They were doing some kind of cover band thing in their spare time for fun, and I think they really got obsessed with playing oh, those yeah. long the Foxborough, Foxborough hot, hot tubs. <laughs> yeah, which I, I got to see them a few times, and it was such a trip. It was such a such a fun show. But I they the night that I saw them, they um, their kind of whole spiel with that band was that they would just kind of play. They would do these long, sprawling, like three hour club shows but they would just replay a lot of songs over and over again. And the night I saw them, they did a quick one by the who about four or five times, I think maybe, which as you know, it's a long song. It ends up being about 35 minutes of stage time. But I think they got really into that era of the who, when they were writing American idiot. Yeah. I watched some of your movies this week. I don't know why okay. I've never seen uh, 10 Cloverfield lane before. Oh yeah, what was it? I, I would call it a sleeper, a sleeper hit. You know, I don't think everybody knows of knows of that one. Well, I I don't know. It was on Hulu or Netflix, and I I always kept meaning to um to watch it and never did. And then so I had to pay for it. Oh my gosh, you did that. I, you shouldn't have done that. I feel bad. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. it was good. I I felt felt like um oh this is a movie that I probably should be watching to get some pointers about. You know, when I have my own ap- apocalypse bunker. Yeah, when you get your, your doomsday <laughs> shelter. Yeah, care of. yeah, exactly. So, so question that I've got for for you from from that is, in your own apocalypse bunker, would you have cell service? Ooh, oh man, that's a really good one. Uh, my, you know, as as cool and off the grid as I want to sound. You know, I, I think I have to admit I, I, I would have to, and you know, I'd have to check in with with uh, with the fam, with the friends, and you know, I'd be I'd have to be able to listen to my podcasts and there you go, get, get my John Prine records in case any of my vinyl gets damaged down there. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, let's see. I watched Short Term Twelve. 
Oh yeah, I'm. I'm the really. I'd, I'd say if there's one thing I've done on camera as an actor, I'm the most proud of that film as I am of probably anything I've done. There was some great acting in that. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me. You know, I mean, Brie Larson has gone on to win an Oscar. Rami Malek has a small part in that. He won an Oscar for playing Freddie Mercury last year. Um, it's kind of been this kind of breeding ground for uh, for some actors that have gone on to like tremendous success. Caitlin Deaver and Keith Stanfield. Yeah, There's she was great. Yeah, she so was- good. And she was about 14, 15, I think, when we shot it. And just stunning. She just came in and was such a pro and so connected and, you know, that was a, I had such a special time making that one. It was a, it it really was a kind of a a homegrown family affair when we made that. Shot it really quick. Everybody bonded really intensely. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of time to shoot it. So we we all just went for it. Yeah. Do do your friends give you um, grief about the, the, the opening scene where you're talking about poop in your pants oh yeah <laughs> mercifully no and nobody's giving me a hard time about it I, I think they they like the the disarming nature of that scene it kind of makes it seem like it's going to be this silly zany comedy and then it turns into this really kind of right grueling intense drama <laughs> right uh and if you wait until the credits so the actor who played marcus so lakeith stanfield he gets a song on the soundtrack. So where where was where was your soundtrack song? Oh, where was my soundtrack song? I actually I did a movie um, a couple years ago called The Miseducation of Cameron Post, where I I play a um, a youth minister. Um, okay. And uh, the 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 screenwriter director reached out to me and said, well, you know the the your character sings like a Christian rock song at one point to all of the kids that he's that he's looking after. And we, we cleared a few online to get the rights to, but they don't really sound right. And the movie took place in the early nineties. So they needed an early nineties style kind of Christian rock song. And they just finally said, well, we know you're a songwriter. Do you want to take a pass at it? Um, and I thought, well, I never, I didn't, you know, I never thought that I would sit down and try to write a, you know, like a Christian folk rock song, but sure. Why not? And I ended up writing one that I play in it and I'm credited on the, on the credits for that one. So if you watch the miseducation of Cameron post, there's a, a song I sing in there called my savior, which, which I wrote, which was a, you know, it was interesting because I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a particularly, um, uh, religious individual. Um, but I had to kind of sit down and go back to the Bono route, which is, you know, I think he has a famous quote saying all, all kind of, all of his songs are love songs to God. I'm, 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 I'm probably misquoting that and, um, and, and piecing it together. But I remember it reading something right. about that and thinking like, oh yes, well, if all love songs are kind of religious songs and vice versa, then how hard can it be? So I kind of just treated it uh, as I would any love song, which of course are, you know, some of my faves. Yeah. So I, I, I've kind of beaten around the bush. You, so you're also a musician. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I found your, your album called Six Day Hurricane on Spotify. Yeah. 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 So you've got a song uh, called Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Um, did I say it? Did I? Sarasota Someone. Yes. but Someone. There yeah. you go. So, so between Saras- Sarasota Someone and Six Day Hurricane, um, yeah. you got references here to Florida? Yeah, got some. Uh, let's. I mean, that's the main one. Is Sarasota someone? I uh, I've never been to Sarasota, but I have been to St. Augustine. As a matter of fact, okay, I love it there. Um, uh, no, funnily enough, uh, I always when I when I play the 
the song live, I feel the need to come clean and preface it with the confession that, uh, that it's, a, you know, a, a, that it's about a place I've never been. Um, and I, I, uh, I love alliteration and I just, the word yeah. Sarasota is so satisfying to me, like saying it aloud. It's kind of a, ma- a mantra of mine. <laughs> and I met somebody that was from Sarasota one night and it was just this kind of time where I was feeling a little aimless in New York and it was cold. It was winter. And, because I live uh, in, in Brooklyn and, you know, I remember just sitting down and thinking, gosh, Sarasota, that sounds like where I want to go right now. And so that song was born out of um, just a kind of wanting to escape to uh, a, a fantasy realm, if you will. And it just so happened that my my catch-all happened to be Sarasota for that one. So I've okay. never actually been there, but um, and it's a word that I feel has followed me around ever since I, I put it in that record. <laughs> you ever get to florida it's a couple hours away so i can uh i can do the uh the the, the field trip with you so i'd love to i i, I mean I'd, I'd go right now if if i if i could but obviously we're a little <laughs> shut down right now the beach is open actually oh is it really oh, yeah man, they're getting going back and forth yeah yeah so the governor kind of kicked it over to the the, the local governments of whether or not they wanted to reopen the beaches in sarasota their local government said yes. And that was like, I don't know, two days ago. And they're oh, just yeah. getting crucified in the, in the press right now oh, for, really? for yeah, opening sure. it up. So yeah. I should, I should reach out to them and say, Hey, yeah. this is John. You know, I wrote a song called Sarah. I'm an authority on this. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> um, so I really dug the song. Imagine if, Oh, thank you. Thanks beautiful, much. beautiful song. Uh, what's the what's the uh, the story behind that that tune? Yeah, th- that was uh, you know that was a riff that I had for a long time. I I have this kind of um, drop D tuning uh, kind of uh, re- repetitive kind of line on the guitar in, in that song that I'd had for several years, and I'd tried so many different lyrics with it, and, and couldn't seem to find anything to make it fit, and then. Finally, uh, this kind of uh, what was born out of it was almost having a kind of existential crisis through this repetitive riff. And um, it's basically a song about just not really knowing where you fit and uh, trying to kind of figure out what life you want to live and what kind of person you want to be. And uh, there's actually this board game that I that I played um, years ago called Imagine If. 
Um, and I don't even remember how the game is played <laughs> or what it entails, but I just remember I had the, the in my old apartment with an ex-girlfriend where I lived, she had the game and it sat on our shelf. And I would walk through our living room all the time and just see the words, imagine if. Um, and, uh, you know, it kind of struck me as, well, yeah, imagine if I did this, imagine if I did that, imagine if I led this kind of life or that kind of life. And, uh, and then that song is just kind of a, a, a peaceful, waking existential crisis. It's kind of how I like to think of it. Gotcha. A love letter I've, to self-doubt. I've never, I've never seen, I'm, so I'm Googling Imagine If, and it's yeah, not, it's, it's not spelled the normal way. So it's, it's Imagine, not an E at the end. No E, eh? Yeah, it's I-F-F. So it's basically oh. one word. Imagine If. Imagine If. Yeah, I separated them. I did it properly for the for the record. <laughs> I wanted it to be clear. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now I got to go look because we're playing a lot of board games in this downtown. I remember it being fun, but I can't remember what the objective <laughs> is. <laughs> I've never been decisive, but this takes the cake. Existential nervousness that I can't shake. I used to be so different once I trusted and once I just played. And I can't be too sure. Just when it was that I changed. So on the record, I'm going to assume that Wayne's favorite song would be Dangerous Strangers. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's got that's that's a lot of eighth notes. If you if you're of the of a punk persuasion, I feel like that's it's also one of the harder ones. It, it has a pretty, pretty rocking arrangement. If yeah. I do say so myself. Nice. Dangerous is in the title. That's always nice. Yeah. yeah. Did you listen to the record at all, Wayne? I did. I did not know there was a record available. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Well, you got some homework. Should have got some better notes. Uh, I, I've made it. To be fair, I've made it as uh, complicated as possible uh, by having two different names that I go by. It's probably right. one of the more misguided things I've done uh, as a as, as a professional person in the world is not have one name. You know, an umbrella under which all of my materials can be found. So the record is um, is 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 harder to track down. Uh, and you know, I think I'm. Uh, obviously, uh, um, much more on the radar as a as an actor than I am a, a singer songwriter. That's yeah. um, that's something. Obviously, it's something I take very seriously. But it's a very DIY enterprise. I, I haven't been able to get my foot in the door with like a manager and a booker and those things. It's been really hard to um, to to convince. Uh, I think to convince somebody that I'm um, uh, that it's not a part I'm playing. You know, I think people in the music industry can be a little reluctant to take actor musicians seriously because I think it, it seems like just like a role that they want to play to a lot of people. But I actually have been playing music um, uh, since I was a kid long before I was an actor. So to me, 
the acting thing in a weird way, even though it's something I'm more prolific at, uh, it feels like a second, um, uh, a second muscle, you know, the music really is, is the, the love of my life. Do you really have to convince execs that, um, I'm no Haley Duff? <laughs> I, mean, I, uh, I don't think that that's what they're thinking, oh, thinking okay. when they see okay. me. I, I think they'd probably have maybe some more dollar, dollar signs. Sure. I think yeah. it's because the dollar signs <laughs> don't flash right. when they see a kind of scruffy, um, uh, generic, uh, Brooklynite walking down the street towards them saying, Hey, check out my music too. Well, you must be doing something right. Cause I did see that you did, you did, um, a thing with pace magazine. They invited yes. you to come in and do, do some, do some songs there. So that's, they did when the record came out, I got to go to their studios and do a few acoustic songs. It was super fun. It's my favorite music website. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. It's they're They're just obviously, I mean, they, they wrote the book on, on, on so much of the kind of modern online media when it comes to music. Yeah. Wayne, my apologies for not letting you know that Johnny had a, <laughs> a record out there. I, I've been like the, for this week, I feel like I've been the least prepared that I've ever been for episodes because well, Wayne, Wayne crucified me before we started recording. Cause we're doing four recordings <laughs> this week. And oh we, we usually <laughs> only do one. And I did, I did three last week and I did so that the special John Prine episode that I put together. So I just chatted with a couple other people that we've had on the podcast before. So I think I recorded like, six times the week before so i'm kind of going a little crazy that's a Uh, lot that's a lot it 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 is a lot and i and i have a real job so this is (laughs) this is just the fun stuff oh my goodness yeah you must not be sleeping too much uh i don't sleep much anyway we 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 talked about that as well because that's that's where when i do my editing is when i'm having those bouts of insomnia. Sure. Yeah. And then it's even worse because I just found out uh, yesterday that uh, the newsroom is now available on Amazon prime. So I started watching that as well. Oh, there you go. So I'm, yeah, I'm watching the Sopranos for the first time. So we're both dipping. Oh my gosh. HBO shows. Best TV show ever. I've watched the Sopranos all the way through uh, twice. Oh, you have. And, Oh, I, that is, that is the, I think that is the best television show ever. I'm loving it. And it's always been a secret shame of mine. I've never really wanted to admit to anybody that I'd never seen it, you know, cause it is obviously so important and, uh, seminal. Uh, I've seen the wire twice, uh, which I love, but I, for some reason I had just never, never got, never gotten into the Sopranos, even though I know that I, it has everything that I would and should love. And of course I'm four seasons in and just obsessed loving it. <laughs> So uh, let me ask you this, Wayne: Is the Sopranos on Amazon Prime? Uh, it, technically, it is because, like I say, they have a deal with HBO, so the older oh. stuff is free through uh, Amazon Prime. I'm going to be so unprepared next week as well. <laughs> Once I is someone from the, the news- Sopranos coming on? No, 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 oh, I, no, no. I but I've awesome. I have never watched it, and I know that uh, that is a deficiency on my part as well. But, um. So, so if I watch that, Wayne, am I going to no longer say that Breaking Bad is my favorite? Mm. I, I, I think you, I, 
I would think you would if you watched them different. If you watched them, the Sopranos when they first came out, I think you would have never said anything else was your favorite show. But I got you. Once you fall in love with something and it's yeah. your best, it's your favorite show. Then it might. It's kind of hard to knock it off that pedestal. I got gotcha. you. But it, it's 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 incredible, and I mean they have some time. There's seasons that aren't as aren't as great, and they kind of set up other things. But those first four or five seasons, uh, especially the first three seasons of The Sopranos is just, I mean, it's one of those things where I watched, I had to wait a week because it was when it was actually being shown on HBO. But the second time I'd find myself staying up till 1130 at night watching, you know, eight episodes when they're all an hour long. (laughs) It's, there's so much, what's striking me is that there's so much humanity uh, on the show and I mean just the performances uh, I mean Gandolfini and Edie yeah. Falco alone just the Carmela Soprano and Tony Soprano relationship is unbelievably rendered it's just so real and it's just kind of like oh, I, I, I completely accept that these are real people I'm not even thinking about the actors I'm not even thinking about them saying written lines of dialogue I'm just completely engrossed and in buying into these two human beings it's stunning yeah yeah. All right. Well, I got some additional watching to do. What 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 else are you guys binging during these downtimes? Because uh, uh, my wife and I started watching The Good Wife. We are almost mm. done with that. I think we've got like five or six episodes left, and then we're not sure what we're watching next. So I need suggestions. Sopranos, apparently. Sopranos. That's yeah. It's a good yeah. one. Okay. I've been watching a lot of Curb. Your enthusiasm as well. That's uh, oh, that's good. And if you watched, if you like Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul I is a just finished, is a must. Yeah, I just finished. Oh, okay, this, I just finished this uh, this season today. In fact, so, oh nice. Breaking yeah. Bad is so good. By the way, You're, that, oh, yeah. that's a good yeah. show to to have yeah. as as a fave. But what's funny about Breaking Bad is because I watched The Sopranos and loved it so much. One of the things that drove me crazy is they were such horrible gangsters. Right. <laughs> and it just drove it's like this Tony Soprano would have never done that. Right. Because they're horrible gangsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well let's uh let's transition over to, to talking about John Prine. So sure. uh one last question as we move from the interview section to the record section. So we ask all of our guests their opinion of Toto's Africa, good or bad song. Mm. Uh, good or bad. I mean, uh, all I know is that I, I, I listen and I sing along and I feel pretty groovy whenever I hear it. And I remember there was this one viral video a few years back and it was like these two musicians in like a pizza, a pizza place shop. Or a bu- yes. Yeah. And they did this like tremendous acoustic cover of that song. And I remember I was one of the many people that was like, I gotta rethink this song. You know, this, is, this is amazing, but not a good one to attempt at karaoke. I've seen that go uh, awry. Not, 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 not good. I wonder how many, cause we've brought, it's been brought up a couple times. Let me see how many millions of, Oh, this is crazy. Uh, so that particular one that you're talking about has been watched on YouTube 14 million times. Wow. 
Nice. That's a lot of times. That's a lot lot of views. That is a lot of times. Good for them, man. Good Good for for them. I I wonder where they they are and what they're doing. I don't know. Um, And the guy who posted it has 290,000 subscribers. Okay. That's Um, working out. Again, good good for him, man. Um, yeah. Anyways, I I'm going down a YouTube uh, rabbit hole. Let's uh, yeah. let's uh, let's switch this. All <laughs> I right. know all about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so usually this is where I say, uh, t- tell us what record uh, you chose, but uh, we we kind of chose it for you. I think <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, you chose it. But yeah, we because we're like, well, um, if there's any records besides Tree of Forgiveness, which we've already done an episode on, mm-hmm. I think this is the one or the debut record that Wayne and I are, are kind of most familiar with. So, mm-hmm. so, so thank you for um, allowing us to pick the record instead of you picking the record i'm glad you did honestly i i think i i don't know i would have had trouble choosing i'm very indecisive so so what are some of the go-tos uh did i did i name them all is there some other record wise yeah for john prine yes um i love sweet revenge um i always love to throw sweet revenge on that's i mean that might be might be my favorite um, but I, of course, self-titled is just such a masterpiece. It's great. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and just chock full of hits, you know, the hits just keep on coming on that self-titled record. And some of the self-titled stuff is the oldest stuff that I know that those are the songs that got me into John Prime when I was a kid. And so that feels kind of, uh, close to home to me and, and familial. So I like to put that on, but actually bruised orange is one of my favorites. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with my copy, uh, my vinyl copy that I've had for years, um, uh, tonight. So, um, it, it is a go-to of mine. So I might've, I might've chosen this record if you had, had put it in my hands. <laughs> Got it. Um, yeah, sweet revenge is one that I don't, I've, I know that I've listened to it. Um, but I, pr- I probably need to spend more time with it. Diamonds in the rough. I spent a little time with, um, I still have not listened to common sense, which is the record right before bruised orange. It's uh, good. Th- that one's cool. That one's kind of wild. Okay. Like there's some covers on there. Uh, I feel like that's one of the really, one of the more, um, you know, I, I, I it's, I use the word eclectic a lot when I'm talking about john but that one really uh to me is such a kind of common sense feels like such a, a mixed bag in so many ways it's it's fun it's a fun listen yeah so so go back to what you were saying where uh you're like this is this is what i listened to as as a kid so mm-hmm. um you apparently had cooler parents than wayne and i <laughs> uh, because I, there was no john prine in my in my home uh, right. there was there was Dion Warwick and um, uh, you know Barry Manilow in in my household. <laughs> sure. Uh, so so did what else was was your parents spinning back in the day besides? Yeah, well, my my my, my mom and dad um, they met playing music and okay. they still play music. Uh, they live in Wilmington, Delaware, where I grew up, and um, 
they're lovers of, of folk music and they sing in a, uh, as a, you know, they, they, they're a duo, John and June Gallagher. They play around my hometown of Wilmington a lot still. Uh, they're in their sixties and seventies, but they're still playing. And, um, cool. they just took me and my sisters to, uh, folk festivals in the Philadelphia area. And they took us to see them play whenever they played. And so by the time I was 10, you know, I had seen, uh, I had seen John Prine, I'd seen Jackson Brown, I'd seen Janice Ian, and I'd seen Richie Havens, and I'd seen a, a, a fragmented version of the band, but, but you know, a version of the band, nevertheless. Um, and uh, I'd seen Bonnie Raitt when I was a kid, and so I just saw a ton of really, really great um, music when I was too young to even really realize how important and how special it was, and... Um, and, you know, even though I had the kind of a uh, uh, um, rebellious period in, in my teens where I was like, I don't want any folk music, man. I don't want any acoustic guitars. Um, it, I never turned my back on it entirely. I always kind of came, came back to it. But, um, you know, there was a lot of Bob Dylan in our house, a lot of Joni Mitchell, a lot of James Taylor, yeah. a lot of uh, CSNY. Um, and um, my dad really loved Steve Goodman. He had the Steve Goodman records, and he was really into okay. Kingston Trio and stuff. So there was a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff going on. But I, the Beatles and John Prine—that's the stuff that I think when I think like, okay, what have I really, what really lasted from my my childhood to now? I was like, well, gosh, in the fourth, you know, third, fourth grade, I was listening to John Prine and the Beatles, and I'm still listening to John Prine and the Beatles at 35. Yeah. Um, thanks to thanks to my my mom and dad. I never could convince my kids. Like I can't I can't convince anybody in my family to go to a Wilco show with me, for instance. Really, that that surprises me. Like I even won tickets a couple of years ago to a Wilco show, and I was like, "Come on, let, let's go! Like it's it's free. I got tickets." And like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'll go, my, I'll go with you. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks. But I mean, because I, I, I'm one of those dads where I have, like, I'll, I will freely admit this. So I took two of my kids because they really wanted to go see Charlie Puth. Oh, yeah. And I went and saw Charlie Puth. And, you know, all of my my hipster friends were are like, what's a Charlie Puth? <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been able to convince my family um that my music is cool other than you know i i think there's an appreciation for like bowie and prince and um Mm -hmm. uh, i did hear i did hear my oldest this this made me really happy because he um uh he does the sound clips for me and we just did an episode on abbey road Mm -hmm. and so you know i tell him which sound clips to do and uh later on that week he's playing here comes the sun and something so there i was like go. hey maybe it's i'm working. doing something right there you go yeah. uh, i just have to that, force I, them to do my podcast right and then they'll they'll start getting you know but that's you know i think that's kind of how it goes i you know i i i was slightly i was reluctant and resistant at times when i was young too but just seeing so much you know i think the live music is definitely part of the trick was that I just got exposed to so much of it when I was young. And then it's one thing to hear it, but then when you see them, you go, well, this is, this is kind of special. Um, but I, I didn't know who Charlie Puth was until I guess, I mean, I'd heard the name, 
but uh, I was watching this. They, they did a they did kind of a live pandemic relief concert uh, for New Jersey that aired in uh, the tri-state area yesterday in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and, yeah. and where I grew up in Delaware. So I was watching that uh, in Brooklyn and, and Charlie Poof beamed in from his bedroom to uh, do a Bruce Springsteen cover. He's good. But, but I mean, he's, he's he, definitely he, poppy. He sounded great. He's playing. Yeah. Very poppy. I think that there was some auto tune effect on the microphone, perhaps maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't want to do it, be a conspiracy theorist about it. Um, but he, he did a great cover of a great Bruce Springsteen song. Which song did he do? And now I now I know who he is. Which song he did, did he grown do? Growing Up. Oh, okay. Growing Up, yeah. Not one of the like, more okay. recognized ones. Yeah. I was like, that's a good, you know, I mean, so, some might even call it a deep cut. Um, I was like, he when he said when he announced he was doing a Bruce song, I was like, okay, what is it going to I'm a huge <laughs> Bruce head as well. Big Springsteen nut, uh, very shameless about it. Um, so I was kind of going through the database in my mind being like, okay, what is he going to do? What's right. he going to take a pass at? What's it going to be? But I did not see growing up coming. No, that's the first record, right? Yeah. That's off of, uh, off of greetings. Yeah. yeah. I just bought the, uh, E street shuffle on, on vinyl. Oh, nice. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. That's, I've that's got the- them all until tunnel of love. And then I'm missing the rest until the Seeger Sessions uh, record. I have that. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've been going through this vinyl kick. This is uh, that's it's another so thing. Fun. That's another thing that I do while I'm binge watching The Good Wife is I'm on mm. eBay and Discogs and buying vinyl, and I. <laughs> it's so addictive. I need this pandemic to stop because I'm gonna. <laughs> like I, I think I spent all my stimulus check on vinyl <laughs> oh. well, on, yeah. on vinyls yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a great you know as far as hobbies go and kind of collectibles it's such a it's such a good one to to turn to yeah i bought a couple billy joel records as well just to just oh. to prove to the twitter verse that i'm not anti billy joel that you're not yeah i have this weird thing so i really love turnstiles you know i, I love that record and I bought it like three times. And so the, I, I want to say the opening track of that is, uh, is say goodbye to Hollywood. I think that's, that's track one. And I bought, I'm kind of obsessed with the used vinyl thing. Like when, when the new vinyl comes out, when the, when the new pressings come out, I'm kind of less jazzed about that. I'm more excited about going to a random record store and being like, Oh my God, here's a $15 copy of turnstiles. I got it. I got to take this home. But the trick with that is, you know, even when you play it in the store, you never really know how much it's going to be scratched or if it's Mm going to skip. So I bought a copy of turnstiles. And at one point in the first verse of say goodbye to Hollywood, it skipped. So I gave it away and I bought another used copy of turnstiles. And at the exact same spot, it skipped. And I was like, okay, is this, and then my conspiracy theory brain is like, okay, was there like a year where they were, where the pressing was like kind of faulty and there's one spot where it, where it skips or do I just have a bad needle on the record player? Yeah. I may never have the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> well now, now I need to go purchase a copy of turnstiles to see. Get it, if, and uh, let me know if it skips let you in know. the first verse. <laughs> I'll let you know. I just bought, uh, I just I won an auction, so it's uh, Nylon Curtain, Innocent Man, and what was right before Nylon Curtain? 
What is before the Nylon Curtain? Was that Glass Houses? Might, it's it not. It's not Glass Houses. It's the one right before Glass Houses, and now I can't think of what it's it is. not. The what's the one? The compilation with the songs in the attic? Is it? No, that no, no. I didn't. I try and stay away from compilation. Fifty Second Street. Oh, hey. No, I no, I have Fifty Second Street already. Because um, that uh, I love Fifty Second Street. Yeah, I yeah, played yeah. that till that. Grooves wore through when I was a kid. Glass Houses is after 52nd Street. Oh, yeah. Where does The Stranger... Songs in the Attic. That, it was Songs it, in the Attic. It is Songs in the Attic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so that's the live record. Yeah, I thought that came later for some reason. No, that was right after Glass Houses, right before Nylon Curtain. So I've got those, com- I've got those coming to me. Um, yeah, I got outbid on Turnstiles. There was a... There was one. There was another lot that had Street Life Serenade and Turnstiles mm. and Piano Man, which I don't. I'm not sure why I don't have Piano Man. In yeah, collection. I don't have that either. So. I just have a bunch of copies of Turnstiles that, that won't play. <laughs> skip. <laughs> that skip at the same spot. I'll skip at the same spot. All right. Well, I'm going to go on Discogs next time I watch Good Wife with the wife. I'm going nice. to. I'm going to go purchase a copy just so I can see if it skips that spot. Going to get to the get to the bottom of this. So so right before the the first chorus is that what you said? Yeah, I think it's like it's very very early on. Like it has the the intro, and okay. it's somewhere in the very first verse. It it skips pretty pretty quickly, which is a bummer because that that song really cooks. And gotcha. There's, there's nothing like when you're when you're in the middle of a, a really good song on a vinyl and, and it skips. It's such a all right. We're like a pet peeve. We're gonna band. we're gonna figure this mystery out. All right, <laughs> get to the bottom of this. Yeah. All right. Uh, to the rescue. Um, all right. So <laughs> we've gotten completely off topic here. Uh, all right. So um, that's fun. That's what I do so, best, honestly. <laughs> hey, it's it's what we do best as well, I think. Yeah, we're uh, not bad either. Yeah, we're 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 pretty good at the uh, digressions. All right. So Bruised Orange came out in 1978. It was the fifth studio record by John Prine. Um, you brought up Steve Goodman. Um, yeah. so he, he turned this to, to Steve Goodman to produce this, uh, looks like it was recorded in Chicago and, um, I don't really know a whole lot else other than, uh, it didn't really chart well, uh, highest peak was 116 on the billboard <laughs> 200. So Definitely was not a high charter, but um, it definitely has a reverence, though, among singer-songwriters. And that was the one thing that um, I think in all the conversations that that came out of the John Prine Appreciation episode that I did was all of those singer-songwriters were influenced by either John Prine or inspired by another singer songwriter who was inspired by John Prine. Right. So, um, so when you, when you're writing, since you are also a songwriter, um, Mm -hmm. what elements of a John Prine song are you kind of incorporating into your songs? I mean, one of my favorite things about, uh, there's just so, so many kind of characteristics of his writing that I love. And, uh, I think one that that what that really uh, 
sticks out to me is is the the he's such a great observer uh even when even when he's singing in the first person there's this observational quality that is just the kind of right amount of uh i don't want to say detached because it sounds careless but but there's a slight distance you know uh because how would you get how would you physically be able to get through singing a song like hello in there if you weren't a little bit kind of pulled back from the narrative he just has this ability to observe kind of the most staggeringly heartbreaking details of the human condition while somehow not feeling overly morose or uh, manipulative in the description or kind of wallowing uh, in a, in a, in a kind of self pitying way. And I, I just think that that's such a, he makes it seem so much easier than it actually is to write emotional songs without getting bogged down by the weight of them. Yeah. Is such a magic trick to me. Um, and that's something that I, I feel like I'm always striving for. I, I, I certainly don't ever expect to pull it off with the deafness that, that somebody like that, John Prine pulled it off with, but it's always something to aim for, which is like, how do I tell an emotional story um, that feels true to myself and feels confessional, but doesn't kind of feel like, Oh, woe is me. Let's, um, let's all kill ourselves, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, which is, it's a tall order, but um, he just did it. He did it. So, so effortlessly. I know. I think, I think like a song like, um, you know, when I get to heaven, where, you know, look, Prine at that point had flirted with his own mortality a couple different times mm-hmm. with with his cancer stuff. And yet he did that song in such a playful manner. Totally. But yet it's he but yet at the same time he's like, Look, um, when I get to heaven's probably not that far off. Yeah. You know, I'm in I'm in the twilight. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. They're just, yeah, he could, he, well, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through some lyrics. Cause there, there are some lyrics that there's one song on this record in particular that multiple people on that appreciation episode brought up because there are some lyrics in it that, uh, when you kind of peel back one layer of the onion you're like oh that's really morose <laughs> yeah. but yet you're singing it in a manner that is uh kind of tongue-in-cheek and ha- how do you do he that at a, the same time he was a master of that yeah of, at, at at kind of defying uh the style in which a song was written yeah. you know by 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 writing a song with kind of a a strummy up-tempo uh, uh, quality that when you kind of listen to what's going on in there, it's like, wait a minute, that's really upsetting <laughs> and kind of brutal and and nihilistic. And yet it's wrapped up in this happy-go-lucky feeling, you know, and I, I, I love that stuff because that's kind of like, yeah, that's what it feels like to walk around the world as a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah to have these, to hold these two truths at the same time that life's amazing. And it's also awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a couple songs on, on this record. We'll talk about, 
All right. Well, let's let's jump into the track by track. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Just 10. Which means our top song is going to get 10 points. Nick's favorite, nine points on down to lowest score of one. Let's kick this off with Fish and Whistle. I was in the army, but I never dug a trench. Used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch. I go to town and drink, give the girls a pinch, but I don't think they ever even notice me. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven. Fish and whistle, or whistle and fish. Eat everything that they put on your dish. And when we get Make a big wish that we never have to do this again, again, again. Oh, my very first job, I said thank you and please. They made me scrub a parking lot down on my knees. Then I got fired for being scared of bees, and they only give me 50 cents an hour. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both And how can you not like a song that has this much penny whistle in the song? <laughs> this song just makes me happy. So good. Yeah. Um, do you guys kind of know the story of how this even got on Bruce Orange? A little bit. Uh, I, I, I watched one live video where he basically said that um, the record label said, your record's not done. Go, go get us another one go get us another song. And so he's like, "What? I I think I'm done." And and so um to one interview that I, I that I I read, so I'll I'll just quote this this interview. He said, "So I wrote three unrelated verses. None of them, they're all true, but none of them relate to each other. And then I tied them together with an unrelated chorus and somehow it worked." <laughs> And it's just, this song just makes me happy. Like I, I just had the opportunity to see this, this, this live, uh, local musician, um, Luke Wagner in, um, Nashville, Nashville guy, Rocky bottom. They, they, this was one of the songs that they did together when I saw them, saw them, uh, a few months ago and like the whole crowd, this, the small bar, we're all singing along and having a good time. And that is, that's when you know that you've, you've hit the mark and you've written a, a beloved song. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible not to, to get going with that chorus. And, and it's just so singable. Wayne, what do you think about it's, fish and whistle? You know, it's, it's whimsical. I love, I do. I love it. I love that. He, like you said, he, all these, autobiographical like he lived near a car wash um he was a mechanic in the army i don't know exactly what his first job was but i'm sure he got fired for being scared of bees but the whole <laughs> i i and it the whole thing sounds like a really cool version of the andy griffith show theme song just it just it's there's there's nothing there's no way not to like it how about you, John? What do, what do you like about this? Yeah, I've, I've I've always loved this one. I uh, I you, I grew up kind of knowing kind of the great like the greatest hits and the stuff that I had heard live when I'd seen them and the stuff that my parents covered because they covered a lot of John Prime. And then we got like a box set um, 
that uh, I don't even, I don't, I've looked on all of the streaming services and I haven't been able to find it. I think you have to buy it maybe on, as a vinyl or a CD. I think it was called Better Days and it was like a, a kind of a greatest hits compilation that came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And it was like a double disc. It had like, you know, 30 some John Prine songs. And that was where I first heard Fish and Whistle. Um, I must have been uh, 19, I guess, or so. And I loved it. Uh, for those, for the reasons that I love so many John Prine songs, where there there is this like, you kind of think you know what's going on, you kind of think you know what it's about, and then you realize actually I'm not really sure uh, at all. Um, and to hear that they were unrelated, uh, that they were unrelated verses and chords makes perfect sense yeah. because it's something that that works as a whole, and yet it, it's like I can't really crack the code the, uh, of this song. But I've just always loved the the nature of the chorus, the idea of like um, uh, forgiveness of kind of walking around and just thinking, okay, well, I've I've forgive father, forgive us for what we must do. And you forgive us. We'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other. We're all kind of walking around trying to make amends and trying to forgive each other and forgive ourselves. That's always been uh, very profound to me that, that idea and to put it in such a kind of happy go lucky way. Uh, with that tongue and cheekness that we talked of before is, is so cool. It's great. Song makes me happy. Uh, and, yeah. and like I said, um, so like, like in times of pre apocalypse or whatever we're calling this, I would recommend mm-hmm. that everybody <laughs> listens to this song at least once a day. I, I agree. Yeah. I co-sign that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get some scores. Uh, this is my nine, John. It's my nine as well. And then Wayne, of five. All right. And that leads us to next song, which is There She Goes. Just a walking down the street, I suppose. The next fellow that she meets should have her head examined by X-ray machine so he can see all those pictures that i already seen just so he knows. Hey, hey. Get us started, Wayne. What do you like about There She Goes? Um, well, how the first one was uh, an autobiography of John Prine. This song is an autobiography of me and my first wife. And so anytime something <laughs> connects you personally to it and where you're, I just found myself, I mean, laughing. We're, we're, we're good now. I mean, we're a lot older and, and everything, but there's just lines in there that just uh, like made me smile. The whole, the, I, I love the one about uh, the next guy who meets her, needs to put an x-ray machine on her, on her head <laughs> to find out what's going on in there. And that's just made me, like I say, there's just so much of the song that just makes me laugh. And the line where uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. and Mrs. Hyde, it's just yeah. brilliant. Some of this stuff is just, it's just brilliant. But it, it makes me happy. Wayne, do you want do you want me to read what my notes say here? <laughs> all right, here we go. It's safe to say that we've all dated or married someone who John mentions. Wayne, do you want to publicly say yes to that comment? 
I own it. Yeah. Yeah. She can't hurt me now. Because that's the other thing is I love the last verse because nothing captures a divorce like that last verse. <laughs> it's just, and, and can make it and, and in, a, in, a, in a retrospective way, not an actually at the courthouse right. talking to the judge. But in hindsight, I can hear a, lo- a lyric, uh, a verse like that and look back and just just laugh about the whole thing. Was it because you had jiving fever? So I, she gave me something. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound it. It it sounds naughty. Yeah, yeah. It it burns like hot soup. <laughs> John, what do you got on this one? Uh, it, it, I feel like it's one of those classic examples of if you if you saw a song called "There She Goes" and then you started to hear this opening riff, you're thinking, "Man, this is going to just be like a good old fashioned." love song you know this is gonna be like oh there she goes the love of my life and it's like oh no actually it's there she goes good riddance right. thank god um <laughs> and that's such a great way to, to to kind of flip a song on its head like that i mean th- that last verse to to echo what you were saying wayne i just i mean uh i seen her down at the courthouse i was sober as the judge we tried to talk things over but the grudge wouldn't budge i mean <laughs> that's um just such satisfying wordplay it's so good yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on this. John, what do you got? You know, even though I was just, you know, singing its praises, this one tracked kind of on the lower side for me. This is three for me. All right. Wayne? Seven. And this is my five. All right. Next song is If You Don't Want My Love. Anymore. That the world goes round Then that's the way That it all comes down When you want me I won't be around If you don't want my love If you don't want my love if you don't want my love, I know I'll get it. Based if off of the research that I did, so this is a song that he co-wrote with Phil Spector. Wow. And yep. uh, so Prine was introduced to Phil Spector by L.A. Times writer uh, Robert Hilburn. So he said... Um, it happened on the way out the door. We'd been we'd been there for seven hours joking and drinking, and it was just crazy. Uh, so I was a, I was leaving around four in the morning, and all of a sudden Phil sits down at the piano as I was getting my jacket on, hands me an electric guitar unplug. I sit down on the bench next to him. I played him. That's the way the world goes round, and he really liked it. He said. Let's do this. And he, and he played the beginning notes of If You Don't Want My Love. And we came up the, the first couple lines, and he insisted that we repeat them over and over. He said it would be very effective. And so he said, <laughs> and so that's how we took, that's the way the world goes around and took the melody and turned it inside out. Because I thought it was interesting that when you, when you look at the lyrics for this song, that if that's the world, 
if that's the way that the world goes round is a lyric within this song. And I never had paid attention to that until I read that particular interview. So I thought that was interesting. Anyways, uh, does that change? Does that change anyone's opinion on this song? No, I, I, I yeah, I this one. I, I, that's cool though. I, I had always clocked that, that little hidden, if that's the way that the world goes around. You know, I love, I love on a record where you get some, you know, lyrical overlap yeah. and you start kind of pulling out a, you know, theme. I will say this, this is, this was my least favorite. I, I just didn't think that it covered a whole lot of ground where, where look, I'm a lyric guy. So okay. there's so many great l- lyrical songs on this. And, um, yeah, I just didn't really, didn't really care that much for it. No. And I, I kept coming back to it cause I, I think it's a good song and I, Part of it is it's attached to Phil Spector. And it's funny as in 1978 being attached to Phil Spector was a good thing. And then 2020, right. it's it's not. Like it creeps you out. The, the first time you hear like Phil Spector's involved, this is going to be crazy. And right. But then ultimately what it was is this is like all the rest of its folk. And it's real, it stays not in a bad way, but it kind of, it kind of meanders around this general area. And this is the song that's out of sight of that. I think someone, I'm surprised no one covered this and made a huge country hit because this is a straight up country song, but it is overly repetitive. It's tied to Phil Spector and it didn't, it didn't fit yeah. for me. Right. And I yeah. kept, cause I like it and I'll hear it in my head and I kept listening to it again. And there's also a thing he does. He's where he's, he, he's, almost like he's doing a Bob Dylan impersonation. Right. So there's, there's just things to it that it, it, it wasn't that I, I, I can recognize a good song inside there, but I think there's some elements, some parts execution, some parts songwriting partner that kind of took it away and dropped it down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there, it's, it's almost like a, you know, kind of a song as a, an, an exercise, you know, anytime you have something that's as repetitive as, as this, you know, if there's something so uh, in, intentional about that, that that's almost jarring, like it's kind of needling the, the listener uh, in a way. Um, but for whatever reason, stuck in amidst this album, I, I find it weirdly uh, refreshing and kind of palate cleansing. Like I, I always, I always forget it's coming when I listen to this record. And then when I settle into it, I'm like, ah, this is kind of, kind of nice right now, uh, which is weird because you'd think that it's, it, it like you said, Wayne, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily fit into these, into this selection of songs. And in a weird way, I feel like that's almost why it, it, it works for me. Um, uh, on the album in a way that normally I think I would be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say dismissive, but just a little bit more like, ah, that, that doesn't really, you know, align with the rest of it. But for some reason, I feel like that's why I, why I dig it. Yeah. I can see this as a, as a palate cleanser. Yeah. I get that. Um, all right. So I already threw out, this is my least favorite Wayne. It was also my least favorite. Uh, it, it charts, it charts higher than I, than I thought it would it charts at six for me. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, this is our least favorite in cumulative score. Um, Wayne, if you remember back to our tree of forgiveness episode, there was also a, uh, Phil Spector co-write on that one called, uh, God, God only knows. 
or God knows only what I don't remember what it was called. That was our second least favorite on that record. So yeah, like I say, it's it's not noticing. It, sure, it was at one time. It was a yeah, it was a great great idea to work with Phil Spector. He'll make you a star. But <laughs> things have changed. Yeah. All right. Next song is "That's the Way That the World Goes Round." <laughs> I got glue on my string. That's the way that the world goes round. song got brought up multiple times on our John Prine appreciation episode. Um, and Anthony D'Amato brought up about how he performed this song on the same show that you did, John. That's right. Yeah. 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 We, we, uh, uh starting in 2010, uh, I think it was, I started doing, uh, these John Prine birthday shows, uh, at a venue in, uh, in New York called the Rockwood music hall. Very cool. And, um, then I, uh, I, the last one I did was 2017. I didn't get around to one last year. And, um, you know, Anthony and I had played some shows together and I was just trying to think of who would want to come up and do a tune. And, and I reached out to him and I was like, I don't know if you're a John Prine fan, but I feel like you, you do a great job on this song. And I don't think he had heard it before that particular song, but he got up and we played it and he did it. He did a heck of a job. He really, he really got it. And it was really fun. Are there some videos of, you doing some of the John Prine stuff th- out on the YouTubes? You know, there, I should have been more proactive and, you know, got got somebody to come and, and pro shoot some of them because I looked the other day um, and there's, there's, there's some, some bad angles and some kind of half <laughs> songs. There's some stuff that seems as if it was shot from backstage. I don't know who was doing that, <laughs> right. but there's not, not as much kind of pro shot stuff of me doing, uh, John Prine songs as, as I wish, but I did, you know, I, in honor of the man, I, on my, on my Instagram account, I, I did a cover of souvenirs the other day and, Very cool. and put it up there. So that that's, that's the cleanest version of me covering John Prine that can be found on the internet. I gotcha. I, I love this song. This is, this is my top song. Um, and usually, usually I'll pull out like one verse of lyrics that I like and kind of gush on them, but I love every verse and the chorus is great on this. And I, yeah, this is, this is a fantastic song. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I didn't, it didn't get my top score, but I absolutely agree. I love the way it starts with this, uh, like you're coming in screen. at the end of a, of a joke. And then he, that laugh is, is an 
uh, he has one of the best laughs. And then he starts into this song. And I want to say I read something like it was a reaction to, you know, cynicism in the world, even on even on his own part to some degree. But just the line about, you know, a half inch of water and you think you're going to drown. It's just not as bad as you as you're making it out to be. Some of the other lines. I mean, the first verse is pretty rough. I don't know. You could put that out in this this day and age, or this or might be the second verse where it includes the beating her with the rubber hose. But the I think it's the last verse because that is really, I mean, it's one of those things like we, you know, that Bob Dylan always gets a lot of credit for, but taking this what seems like a silly, you know, if you took it literally, but when you look at it in a bigger, broader spectrum, you know, when he's in the bathtub and the water freezes and he's like, I just want to die. And then the sun comes out and it, and it all go, it all gets better. Like just hang in there. It's not as bad, you know, it could change any minute and it's all going to be fine. So the way he gets this bigger, this, this bigger and broader theme inside this very, just with a great, an incredible sense of humor in this song, but yet really bigger ideas that are, that are tackled in it. Yeah. How about you, John? What yeah. do you got on this? I agree. Just a, a, uh, one of my faves, well, probably a you know if I really had to do like a uh, a top a top ten list of John Prine songs, this would probably be be in there. This is uh, one that I cover all the time. I just find it so satisfying, and um, uh, you know I I I I toe the line just as any human being between uh, uh, you know absolute absolute catastrophic thinking, and it's all over, and everything's screwed, and. <laughs> nothing matters. And then, Oh, it's actually, everything's fine. And life is great. I mean, I feel like my dial flips back and forth, uh, so rapidly between the two. And I, I, I've always related to this, to this notion of, of, uh, you know, the, the half an inch of water think you're going to drown. I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's my gut reaction to, to so many minor hardships of, of life, the things that seem, you know, monumental and colossal, but then turn out to be, you know, rather rather small fries in the in the grand scheme of things. I love the musicality of it. It it feels like a very very much a snapshot of country music around, you know, the late seventies. Got the mm-hmm. female singers in the background. I I totally thought about Clapton's Lay Down Sally with the vocals. Oh, yeah. Uh very, very reminiscent of that time frame. So I always think of that. There's that that YouTube video, um, off of that, uh, I think it's off of like a TV, uh, documentary from the, from the seventies around the time they were making this, or it's some kind of behind the scenes footage where he's sitting around a kitchen table, uh, with friends. I think it may be, it's when they're making the record and, and it seems like they're, they've had a few and they're smoking and they're chatting and they're talking and he's playing an off the cuff version of this. And, he tells the story about the woman who misheard the lyric of half an inch water as yeah. happy enchilada. Happy enchilada. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, every time I hear this song, I think of that video and it, it, like you said about that beginning moment of hearing the, you know, oh, it got glue on my strings. That's the way the world goes around, you know, that you feel like you're sitting around the table with that guy, you know, you're like, Oh man, I'm there. I'm just yeah. there with this guy. And he's sharing this little bit of wisdom with me. You know? It really, really transports you. All right, I already told you this is my top, top score, John. Well, now I'm having a moment here. I'm looking at my list, and I'm, I'm, I'm having a rookie moment where I, I think I might have misscored something earlier. I, I now, think looking, now looking at my looking, chicken scratch. I'm, 
Yeah, I'm looking. I think this was your nine, and Fish and Whistle was supposed to be your eight. And I called Fish and Whistle my nine, didn't I, a few minutes ago? Yes. Yes. That was incorrect. That was my bad. Okay. Um, All right. And uh, Fish and Whistle was supposed to be my eight, and that's the way the world goes around is my nine. So it's it's yep. almost my, my top one there. There you go, Wayne. Eight. So we're between 10 and 8. That's that's the right score for this one anyways, right? All right. Right. It's uh, up there. Yeah. Next song is Bruised Orange, in parentheses, Chain of Sorrow. I sat on a park bench, kissed the girl with the black hair, and the head shouted down to my heart. You better look out below. It ain't such a long drop. Don't stammer, don't stutter. From the diamonds and the sidewalk to the dirty and the gutter And you carry those bruises to remind you wherever you go You can gaze out the window, get a mad and get a matter Throw your hands in the air, say what does it matter But it don't do no good to get angry, so help me I know Our hearts stained in anger Through the weak and grows bitter You'll become your own prisoner As you watch yourself sit there Wrapped up in a dress And, um, Wayne, get us started on this one. Um, this song grew, kept growing on me. Like, when I first, because I, I, I listened to, I started listening to, like, I was just shuffling, Spotify shuffling songs by John Prine, you know, the day uh, that he passed, the day after he passed, and I heard all the, I'd heard this song and I heard another song that made me want to find out what album was on. And then I looked at that album and this album and saw all these great songs and started listening to the album. And this one started out kind of somewhere in the middle, but the more I listened to it and the more I, I heard the lyrics and looked at them and it just rose to the top. This song is so, the other thing that, and I don't know if anybody else hears it, but some musically and thematically, this thing somehow is very, like a partner to Sunday morning coming down. There's something in the, in the music that has a, that, that kind of reminds me of that anyway, but this almost sounds like these two guys on different streets, maybe even in the same town walking out on Sunday morning (laughs) and seeing the world and the world that they're in, you know, maybe they're not living up to their own expectations. The world's not living up to its own expectations that they have for it. And so there's this, somehow those songs were linked in there and, you can't go wrong being linked to Sunday morning coming down, but there's, but that whole idea more of it than just the way it sounds is, you know, he's looking at the world and all, all of the things that are going on, the, the, you know, there's these, these, these real tragedies, you know, this kid gets killed by a train, but there's all these other, but he's even saying that it's not, you know, don't, don't let it get, don't get wrapped up in it. Don't, don't create your own, you know, don't chain yourself up in your own chain of sorrow you know, that he's been angry and it's not the way to go. And so there's this, there's this message in it that just, like say, the more I listen to the song, the more I just, I just more, I fell in love with it. Yeah. What do you got on this, John? Uh, agree. I agree with you there, Wayne. This song just slays me. Um, yeah, it, it always does. It's always packed such a, such an emotional punch for me. Um, you know, that, that first verse is so, uh, it's, it's, again, it's, it's one of those, you know, I, I, I think of John Prine in, in a weird way is 
being kind of a like a great mystery writer because you know he writes these lyrics that you you're you kind of have to go wait 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 what wait what is happening uh, oh and then oh and now i see the answer like you'll he'll set up these kind of mysteries and then answer them i think of that the first verse of this song as being this tragic mystery that you, you know you kind of get to the end of it and and then the, just the the chorus i mean i i so relate to just the idea of you know you can you know you can gaze out the window get mad and get mad to throw your hands in the air say what does it matter don't do no good to get angry so help me i know you know i mean um we all struggle with just the angry emotional response and and it usually is the first thing to happen it's usually the easiest knee-jerk reaction um but that idea of it kind of adding up you know over time trapping you is uh, something i've certainly felt uh at, uh, at angry times in my life. And so, you know, I, I, um, I, I think of that chorus quite a lot, actually, um, wh- when I'm getting angry about something or where, when I'm getting bitter, when I'm fixating on some kind of I've been wronged uh, reaction, um, I'll actually come back to this song and think, actually, you know what? No, don't forget. Don't forget what John Prine said. <laughs> don't do no good to get angry. So help me. I know, you know, like I, I really do. I've, this song has, I've used this in a, in a really therapeutical way um, uh, throughout my life. And uh, as a result, it's just, it's, it's one that I'm always happy to listen to. And, and it's, it's really straightforward. Uh, it, it's kind of, I feel like in a weird way, it's one of the most straightforward songs on the record that just kind of, it has this very easygoing kind of strum. This, it, the rhythm is very kind of simple. Um, but it's such a, such a universal truth that's, uh, that's packed in there. And he repeats verses at the, at yeah, the I like that coming back because yeah. it, it, it has, it, yeah. it has a different significance for, you know, somehow the second time. Yeah. But how great is the last verse where he, you know, he re- remarks about it's not very far from those the diamond studded sidewalks to the gutter. I mean, Oof. it's it can all you know, you may think you're even, you know, the reverse of what I was saying earlier is like you might think everything's going great, but it is just one, you know, slippery six inch curb down into the gutter and the line about the bruises. And that's, you know, how those are there to remind you and, you know, don't ever forget, you know, don't forget bad things or good things, you know, make sure you, you remember where you are and how quickly it can change. It's just, a, it's fucking brilliant. It really is. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I love that. I love the, you know, been brought down to zero, pulled out, put back there, sat on a park bench, kissed the girl with the black hair, head shattered down to my heart. You better look out below, you know, just that little That's memory great, great. is so evocative. Yeah. That's so good. And this is the longest song on the record. By far, it's over. So. It's over five minutes long. Um, all the wow. other songs are around two to three minutes, and I, I didn't notice. I had no. I, I would have had no I, idea. I would have guessed four and a half at the most. Nope, nope. Over five. Wow. That's something. All right. So this is my eight, Wayne. This is my ten. This is my favorite song off this record. This is my ten as well. All right. Um, spoiler alert, this is our top score. Ooh, nice. Not by much, but it is our top score. All right. Okay. Uh, this would this would be where we would flip the record over, and this is is it Sabu? Yeah, it's Sabu. <clears throat> so yeah. Sabu visits the Twin Cities alone. 
Headed down south towards Illinois From the jungles of East St. Paul His manager sat in the office alone Staring at the numbers on the telephone Wondering how a man could send a child actor To visit in the land of the windchill factor Hey look my, here comes the elephant boy Bundled all up in his corduroy Headed down south towards Illinois From the jungles of East St. Paul and what a great title, right? <laughs> My goodness. Um, you guys kind of know the story. I had to look this up because I had I had no idea who Sabu was. Yeah, I didn't. I, I think maybe like six or so years ago when I was first really listening to this song, I did not know uh, what it was about. I had to do the same thing. I had to, to look up the significance. So he was a... Th- 38-year-old man from India that was playing a 14-year-old boy from India in some movies. And I should have I should have looked up one of the movies, but um what I found and this comes from the interweb, so you know, take it for whatever that's worth. Um it said most of the movies take place in the jungle, but the plot is kind of like a grade B western. It's, it'll start with Sabu riding through the jungle on the back of his elephant with nothing but a turban and a loincloth and looking dazed and confused. And then somewhere along the way, he would find a small house or sometimes even a large mansion. And those people were in trouble and he would um, essentially get off of his elephant, hitch it up, walk in, stay with them for three or four days and Never really helped out a whole lot. He just hung around until they figured out their own problems and got out of their own way. And then he'd ride off into the sunset and on the back of his elephant. (laughs) And so, so where this comes from is I guess, uh, some of the movies were not going well. So the movie movie, uh, execs thought, we should send Sabu on a promotional tour, have him ride his elephant around shopping malls in the Midwest in the middle of winter and wave to the kids. So that's where it comes from. It's so, so bizarre, but again, he would take these, these small little images and turn them into songs. But it also feels like once again, like a, like a Dylan song, he's telling you this one story, but it, it feels like he might be telling you, another story or, or are you using it as a metaphor? Cause this sounds a lot like the life, you know, the life of a, of a, of a lesser known traveling folk artist, you know, going and playing small venues in the Midwest. Uh, you know, cause I love the line about the roadies that got the, the scabies and the rabies and the flu and he fades off what he says what they're high on. So I, I, I just, it, it was great. It, it's once again, there's, and there's a cadence to his voice telling this story that just kind of almost mesmerized me. Yeah. What do you got on this, John? Oh yeah. Yeah. This, this, I I love this one. Um, it was, you you know, it's one of those songs that, uh, I, I was so moved by the first time I heard it, despite the fact that I couldn't tell you what it was about. You know, it was one (laughs) of those where I was like, wow, I, I, I'm tearing up, but I don't 
I don't know why. I'm not sure who Cebu is, and I don't know why I'm, I'm so uh, so moved by his plight. Um, and, and something about the the chorus just really destroys me. I, mean, I think that that um, that uh, that backing vocal, that harmony. I, I think bon- I, it looks like it's Bonnie Kolak. I'm seeing on my liner notes for the vinyl here, who sings that um, that high octave harmony uh, on the chorus. Um, anything from the point of view of kids, you know, really levels me. And just that, hey, look, Ma, here comes the elephant boy. The start of that chorus, something about that has always just really, really, I don't know, has really knocked me out, has always tugged on my heartstrings. And, and then, of course, looking up the story of like, oh, the idea that it was this guy who was, you know, kind of old. became, uh, yeah, who, be, you know, became this kind of, uh, uh, almost like a minstrel show, like he became a trope uh, to kind of entertain the masses, but, but at what expense, you know, and, and then this kind of being the, the, the sad kind of end of it, where it was like, well, they had to send this guy to the, to the Midwest in the dead of winter to try and sell this movie because his star was fading. And, you know, there's something about it, uh, while whilst being so clever, there's something that's just so heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Uh, every time I hear it, I, I, I tear up. Yeah. It's great. Um, and I feel bad for my score cause somebody had to get it too. Um, <laughs> so this is my two, uh, Wayne, your score. A uh, six. And then John, this is uh seven. Okay. And next song is Ah Heck. And you see, they could torture me and stretch me like a rubber band. As long as I got my woman. I could jump off a cliff and never have no fear. Just as long as she is near. My woman mm-hmm. Safe to say this is most country song on the record? Yeah, but like hee-haw country. Yeah. Like not, like right. this was yeah. very novelty to me. I mean, that was like Keith it got cornball. It like, and I, don't, I wouldn't say that I don't like it. I just, it was over the top. It was very hee-haw. Okay. Hmm. Do you guys find it interesting the fact that he only says "ah heck" once in the the song, yet he always keeps coming back to "my woman," and that that seems like a man. Yeah, that 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 would be more of a more of a more of a title than "ah heck." Yeah, I remember the first time I listened to it, I expected "ah heck" to be you know in in the chorus. Yeah, and it's not. <laughs> So it's just interesting. Um, what else we got to say? Anything on the lyrics that we like? I, lo- I mean, I, I do love the idea of of it, it's really just kind of the ru- the rumination on on one you know theme that's like here are all the terrible things that could happen to me, but it wouldn't matter uh, you know because I've got my woman. You know, I like I, I I love a song that just says. You know, it's it's kind of a bring it on song. It's like, yeah, give me give me all you got, give me your worst because I've got a love, and you know that's all I need. I, I love that 
Um, I love that sentiment. You know, yeah. I feel like that's something that pops up in, in popular music a lot. Yeah. It's that it's like as bad as it gets, I'm always going to be okay. Cause I've got this one, one great thing in my life. Yeah. I, I, I definitely like the song a little bit more than you guys do. Maybe Wayne, I'm, I'm a little better with hee haw than you are. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I gave this a six, John, this one, you know, I, I, I'm, it's such a beloved prime song that I, I feel some shame for what I'm about to admit, but this was uh, one for me. Okay. And then Wayne, uh, two next song is crooked piece of time. And this was written when? 1978. Is this about a bad relationship or is there a bigger picture here? And to me, and it, it felt like, because this is the song I heard when I was listening to those those that Spotify shuffle, that it made me want to to go and hear the you know, see where what album it was on and see what other songs. And like I say, when I saw that, I saw three or four other songs that had already I'd heard and that stood out to me. But this is the song that made me dig deeper. And I just love it for the sense that, I mean, time is the one constant linear thing in life. Like, and yet he, even it can feel like it's, it's crooked and jagged and going in the wrong, you know, going in different directions when ultimately time is the one thing that keeps us all going forward. So this can't isn't, be stopped. And yet. So this isn't a song about Donald Trump? Is Caroline? Or, okay. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Sorry. It's a crooked piece of shit. Hor- horrible. <laughs> horrible joke. Um, I stumbled on a really great cover. You guys know Todd Snyder? Oh, yeah. Love Todd Snyder. Um, so mm-hmm. there is a really good cover that he does where he adds some harmonica and violin, and he makes it a little more of a – I don't know if it's blasphemy for me to even say this. It kind of turns it more into a Dylan song than a Prine song. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I just really, I really dug it. Um, there's some, some homework for, for, for the peoples at home. Um, and for me, I'm going to be checking. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, I dig Todd Snyder as well. Um, and I think this goes back to the theme that we've talked about on a couple other songs of, you know, all in all, it's just a crooked piece of time and just move on. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I love, but he and if the but musically he uses that piano and it has this very uh, gospel church kind of feel. I mean, I think this oh, this one has yeah. some some ba- some harmonies in it too. But it just there's a it's it kind of you know captures that you know that anxiety that when times are times are tough, times are weird. You know, I just really just I this is the one that drew me in to come and look at this album deeper. Mm. Okay, all right. Anything else? Yeah, I've always dug this, dug this one uh, for. I I like the arrangement. Um, This has always weirdly felt to me like it could have been on uh, "Sweet Revenge." You know, like "Sweet Revenge," I feel like is one of the uh, has like kind of some of the more like 
full on rockers uh, of the of the Prine discography. Like there's some real kind of rockin' arrangements with heavier drums and more electric guitars and stuff, more kind of like loud strummed guitar. Um, and I kind of like that energy. I like when 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 John Prine leans into that kind of more rough around the edges, more kind of like letting loose. Because this song always has struck me as being like slightly more cynical than than some of the others. Um, okay. You know, even you know some of the ones that, like that's the way the world goes around. Some of the songs that have some of the more kind of darker shades or kind of nihilistic approaches, like this one never really result like the last verse is like uh yesterday morning an ill wind came you know it it doesn't really wrap itself up other than just this kind of repetition of it's a crooked piece of time you know um and as a result i i kind of love that like i i love that it just leans into like we're gonna this one's kind of rocked out and it's just a little bit about how uh yeah it's just a crooked piece of time that we're living you know um, so the simplicity and the kind of slight, slightly more angstiness to it is something that I, I always enjoy when it comes around on the record. I'm like happy to kind of dig into that for a minute. Yeah, it's good. All right, Wayne, your score? A nine. This is my second favorite. All right, John? I've got this at four. All right, this is my seven. Leads us to Iron or Betty. Does anybody know if there's a deeper connotation of an iron or Betty? Is there, <laughs> is there like a sixties or seventies uh, connotation? The only thing I'm going to say, and I know this is horrible teenage stuff, but iron ore is what makes steel. So this whole thing has a sexual charge to it. Cause one of the things that I think is, is, is that he keeps mentioning the things that they, that they have in common, that they watch the same TV um, I think they get their mail at the same place, but he makes it clear that they're not married. So they're shacked up, which is, you know, but there's this whole, there's kind of a sexual charge to this whole thing. He's really into iron or Betty. He's I, the thing that always makes me laugh every time is the rug burns on his elbows and her knees. Like I'm trying to imagine what the hell is going on on this carpet. That's causing these, these rug burns. But uh, I was this is, it's a you, fun song. I was going to ask you, cause you're more into the, the, the the deviant sex stuff than than i am (laughs) (laughs) i i've yet to get rug burns on my elbows okay all right that's all i'm gonna say well i try i try to look this up on song meetings nobody has posted anything for this song so if anybody knows any you know sexual deviants that they can they want to add to iron or betty this is your chance because there's not a darn thing on songmeetings.com for this song so go for it (laughs) go for it yeah, there there's got to be a story somewhere with all of the all all of this uh story that he's he's thrown out there but gosh, there's so many good lyrics. Again, I I can't pick I can't pick out one lyric for this one either because it's just the whole thing is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's so good. 
it just paints such a picture and yet you know it, it's it's so descriptive and evocative and yet here we are still kind of going well but but who is this this person right. and, and what what is he talking about it, it's all there and yet i don't i don't know i'm not i'm still not sure who who iron or betty is but she sounds like a, a lot of fun yeah and and who was daddy g yeah i i looked that up too because i was like it was a night with daddy g i met her at a dance at the union hall because there's some there, there's like um you know, uh, Springsteen uses that lyric. I met her at a dance down at the Union Hall is actually in um, uh, Working on the Highway off of Born in the USA. Okay. And then Springsteen covers a Gary U.S. Bond song called Quarter to Three. As I danced, I danced till a quarter to three near the eight that night with Daddy G. Which is, I guess, some like some. Uh, I tried to look it up. I was like, is it a real person? I think maybe it's like a fictional band leader. Interesting. Uh, or something. I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, that's something that maybe somebody can also help us out with. Yeah, we, we need some help on this one. Uh, <laughs> I need help. Help me. <laughs> un, uncover the mystery of this. Um, oh, and you know what? The um, episode that's coming up is our Eric Bazilian from the Hooters. And there's also a lyric in And We Danced. I met my bebop baby at the Union Hall. I wonder if there is some, there's got to be some Springsteen and references there. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Springsteen was ref- referencing Pine, that Prime. That wouldn't, that wouldn't shock no, me. Not at all. At all. Right. Yeah. Mysteries. I think at one time they were both the next Bob Dylan. True. That's right. They were the, you know, they were, they were the new Dylans at a, at a time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get some scores. Um, the next two is where I feel bad because I, I like both songs and um, I just ran out of numbers. So this is my four. Wayne. I love I, Iron Orbit. Yeah, I gave and I also gave it a four. I feel the same way. Like I don't I, I got I gave a score, my least favorite score, but I, I don't I don't dislike that song. I think this album is is solid top to bottom. Yeah. And John, what's your score on this? Same. I I agree with you there uh and it makes me feel bad about giving low scores but i do think it's a masterpiece of a record and as much as i love iron or betty i put her at uh, two for me all right and then let's wrap this up last song is the hobo song there was a time when my heart was free to wander and i remember as i sang this hobo song notes on here who, who wants to who wants to get us started on hobo song see again i was i was distracted with the newsroom i blame you john I, i'll accept it i'll take it i'll shoulder the responsibility okay. for this all one right. all right <laughs> wayne what do you got on hobo song 
Um, my only thing is I thought it was a bit over the top for a for a folk record to have a song about hobos um, with a slow strummed acoustic guitar and a harmonica. It just, mm. uh, I don't know. It just it in a in amongst all these other songs that are very, I feel like, uh, you know with this great sense of humor and these great, you know, these great way of taking these specific stories and making you feel, or at least making me feel like there's a bigger, broader meaning to all of them to, to sing a song about the hobo life. Uh, it just was <laughs> a little on the money, a little too on the nose. Okay. I can see that. I, I yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you there. Um, it definitely is. It, it has this kind of, uh, you know, that the, the spoken word verse in particular, you know, at the end, um, it, it really almost kind of feels like ri- written in a, in another character, you know, like it, like written, uh, for someone else almost, uh, in a way like a, like almost like a, a song that's like a fictional song, like written for some other narrative, um, somehow. Um, but, but I still find myself in the way that I just often do with, with John Prine songs, which is even when I kind of think like, well, maybe this one isn't really working for me, uh, as much as the others, you know, somehow by the end of it, I'm, I'm totally wrapped. And, um, you know, and I find myself, you know, when they, when they fade in that chorus of everybody singing together, um, I'm, I'm just like in it all over again. I'm then I'm like, Oh, great. Is it just when I thought maybe I was passing judgment on this song, I'm totally hooked and I'm <laughs> caught up in the narrative and I'm feeling it. And I also am wondering where the hobos went. And, um, I don't know that, that, uh, have you ever seen the movie um, uh, Scarecrow? Um, this this movie not. from the seventies. Uh, it's a uh, Al Pacino and Gene Hackman, um, kind of right before they both became big superstars. Um, I think it's like maybe pre Serpico or post Serpico, but it's it's right in that sweet spot in the seventies when Al Pacino was was breaking out, and they play these it's a very aimless movie. They play these two drifters um, uh, who are kind of on this endless road trip, um, trying to scrape together uh, a couple dollars and get to where they're going. And there's one scene where Gene Hackman is like, uh, Oh, I'll take you under my, my wing to, to Al Pacino. He says, tomorrow we'll go by the hobo jungle. We'll see some, my, my old, my old pals and we'll get breakfast. And they go to this rail yard and nobody's there. And there's this kind of moment where Gene Hackman's like, where, where, uh, where'd it go? I don't, where'd the hobo jungle go? My friends used to live here. This is outrageous, you know? Um, and so I, I feel like there's something about this song where I'm, there must have been some moment in time, and I'm going to say late 70s, because that movie touches upon this notion that there was this movement of aimless lost people in America that suddenly kind of vanished or, or switched overnight. Mm. Um, so that must be something that John's getting onto here that, um, the screenwriter of Scarecrow was also noticing it. It, it must be some, some significant moment that I'm not totally aware of, but I, I still feel some longing and kind of, uh, innocence lost you know when I, when I listen to this song even though I, I fully don't grasp you know the moment in time that he's talking about yeah yeah now I got some homework to do to go watch Scarecrow I just I just put it it's a great watch it's I just put that in the in the google of where to watch Scarecrow and the first thing that comes up is watch Scarecrow and Mrs. King <laughs> that's not what we're, <laughs> not what we're gonna watch 
that is not on my list of binge watching go during the pandemic. Uh, all right. Let's get some scores on this. We'll wrap this up. Uh, this is my three. Yeah. Wayne. This was also my three. All right. Yep. Also my three. All right. And John. And uh, my five. All right. Um, so this is where I say, did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? Oh, the one thing to, to mention about, um, and this is only through looking at the vinyl uh, liner notes here, the Hobo Chorus has some superstars in yeah, it. Yeah, a couple of them, um, yeah. I've rambling Jack Elliott, and we got Steve Goodman in there, and Jackson Brown. Oh. That's pretty wild. See, if I wasn't distracted by the newsroom, I would have looked up who who the backing vocal. <laughs> the, I, I feel like the newsroom can be a catch-all, uh, blame, uh, just a thing to blame. <laughs> I might I might blame the next couple episodes on the newsroom as well. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I, I, I give you. I say you go for All it. Right. All right, that's that's going to be my my go-to excuse. All right. Uh, I already threw out that Bruised Orange was going to be our top song. Um, They got an average score of 9.33, but right behind it, an average score of 9 was That's the Way the World Goes Round, uh, followed by Fish and Whistle and Crooked Piece of Time. And we have a two-way tie for our fifth highest score, which is There She Goes in... Sabu visits the Twin Cities alone. So that's a pretty top, pretty good top uh, five yeah, slash nice. six songs. So anyways, this this whole record is solid. There's not a, it's yeah, so good. Not a skippable yeah. song on this at all. And I even like Phil Spector on this one. So <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but I uh, <laughs> All right. I thought it was a good, I mean, I could recognize it for a good song. I mean, I can recognize it as a good song. I just think it felt out of place and I, I couldn't figure out why, you know, like Conway Twitty or who somebody from that country era didn't take this, take that song and, and take it to number one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There should have been some, even Eddie rabbit. Anyway, (laughs) uh, you know how I feel about Eddie rabbit. I love him. All right. Uh, well, John, this was awesome. Oh, very so much. Cool. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is a, a treat for me. I, I just I love talking about John Prine's records, so this was really fun. Yeah. So, um, remind listeners where they can find uh, find you. Are you you got you on the socials? You yeah. on? I'm on the social media uh, once again, making it as confusing as possible by having different <laughs> names. But uh, I try to do all the social media stuff with John Gallagher Jr., which is the the professional name that I'm credited uh, with when I'm acting. Um, so I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, and uh, you know I'm always I'm always shouting out uh, John Prine. I just did a cover, as I mentioned, of one of his tunes on my on my Instagram. So go find me, reach out, and say hey. I'm 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 obviously home and bored right now, yeah. as we all are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. So so yeah. so last question. Uh we ask all of our guests, um, so who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on the podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Oh, and boy, and and kudos to Anthony for uh for the hookup with uh Oh yeah you again. Have you guys talked to Aaron Lee Tastian about anything? No. I would love to have Aaron oh, I, Lee on. That would be Aaron's, 
Aaron's a good buddy of mine. I've known him for years. We were roommates uh, in New York when we were teenagers, when we first moved to the city. Oh, very cool. Um, uh, he's an old pal, and he's just one of the sweetest dudes. And 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 he's a musicologist. I mean, he can he can talk to you about any record. Uh, his his knowledge of of music and music history is pretty staggering. Um, yeah, so he's the first person that comes to my mind, and he's just such a good chat and such a good hang. He's one of my favorite Twitter follows. Oh, he's great. Yeah, so, he's so funny. So funny. So funny. Well, put, He's a, such a great dude. All right, well, put in the good word for us. Yeah, I certainly will. Okay. I will for sure. I'll, I'll give him a shout. Um, he's a great guy. Hopefully he's not doing anything during the pandemic. We, we can get him on. I know. I think he's in the same boat as all of us right now. <laughs> so he's watching Newsroom as well? Is that what you're saying? He's watching the news. No, he's probably bored. He's like, I don't need to see John. I've, I've seen him before. <laughs> <laughs> I lived with him. Right. I've probably seen him naked. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it probably. I don't need to. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Find all of our happenings on our socials, Facebook page or Twitter at podcast records. Um, so I haven't seen your, um, your Instagram post, John, cause, um, Wayne man's the Instagram page. I don't like Instagram. Uh, I'm on it. I'm following him already. Yeah. So I'm going to reach out to you guys. So just search for records revisit podcast. You can find us there. Uh, you can find, uh, all of Wayne's t-shirt, uh, collection. He posts all about that. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Apple podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Google podcasts, wherever you find find podcasts like this and please go subscribe and rate or review us so thanks for listening please go support the arts i would tell you to go to a live show but there aren't any right now so you know go go check out an instagram uh go check out a facebook live go go check out other stuff on the youtubes and make sure that you're supporting your local artists go buy a t-shirt go buy a record help them out We are Records Revisited, and we are out. Out. I went. uh, I didn't pause long enough, did I? (laughs) That's because I usually go first. I I think you were trying to beat me.